I was reading an article this week that took notice of a cultural trend taking place. And, and as a culture, we're starting to call out abusive and toxic relationships. It's, it's not acceptable to just beat your kids anymore. Uh, it's not acceptable to attack one's partner or anyone for that matter, verbally, psychologically, or emotionally. When it comes to domestic abuse or sexual violence, culture is cracking down on athletes, politicians, those who are in power. I mean, we're teaching our kids and teenagers about avoiding such toxic relationships. In my home, we have been discussing a lot uh, about uh, setting up healthy boundaries so that my children can avoid falling into a toxic, broken situation. And here's my question for you as a pastor. If you were in a harmful or toxic relationship, would you want me to step in and say something? Yes or no? You can shake your head yes or no. And you may say no. Uh, but if you were in a toxic relationship, most of you would be like, yes. Let me know that I'm in a broken relationship. Well, there's one type of abusive relationship that's still tolerated in this country that I haven't talked about since the day we started this church. And it's not a relationship with a person. It's our abusive relationship with money, with wealth, with greed, and covetousness. Now, churches talk about this all the time. Churches never talk about this. I talk about it when it comes up in God's word. And that's what we're gonna do today. We have an abusive relationship with money. Our unhealthy relationship with money is approved by and fueled by culture. God's kingdom, though, is what? It's countercultural. And as we look at another parable of Jesus, I pray that us who struggle in our approach to money can start relating to it in a healthy way. Turn to Luke 12. We're looking at the parables of Luke that you cannot find in any other gospel. Turn to Luke 12, look at verse 13. This is the parable of the rich dummy, the rich fool. We're going to look at verse 13 through 21. We will read together. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This teacher is Jesus he's talking to. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Go back to verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Inheritance disputes were common then. Inheritance disputes are common today. I have seen them firsthand destroy families. Who gets the house? What do we do with the house? Who gets the money? What do we do with that money? How do we use uh, the money that we get from things like cars, jewelries, titles, auctions? And you mix in there sin, selfishness, and pride. It's a recipe for disaster. And in this time, wealth was more likely to be inherited than to be earned. And so there were a lot of disputes that centered around inheritance, It's most likely that this man was a younger brother who's not getting what he wants from his older brother who is now in charge of his father's estate. So the father's in charge, the little brother's not getting what he thinks he deserves. And notice what he doesn't say to Jesus. He doesn't say this. He doesn't say, Rabbi, my brother and I, we're at odds about this inheritance, can you please mediate so we can come to a peaceful solution? No, he's commanding Jesus to use his authority to get what he already thinks is his, what he's owed. Jesus, get me my cash now. Jesus, be my Frank Azar, the strong arm of the law. Jesus, I need you to get me what I am owed now. Look at verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I didn't come to be your small claims lawyer guy or your strong arm of the law. I have greater works to accomplish. Look at verse 15. And he said to them, take care And be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus turns to them. Them, I believe, is his disciples. So he has this conversation with the guy. And I think he turns to his disciples and he goes, this guy right here. Hey, guys, this guy right here. Don't be like this guy. Don't give in to greed. Don't give in to covetousness. Life is about more than what you have. Life is about more than getting more. Life is about more than getting more. Be aware of greed. Now, greed is just simply the desire and passion to want more. And it's often in conjunction with other people. Sometimes we're content until we see what other people have. Then we get covetous, covetousness. And we say, oh, I want that and more. And so it's this desire for more and more. One teacher puts it like this. One author wrote in an article that I was reading, greed is an internal sin, a species of covetousness or longing for that which you haven't been given. It's less visible as moments of active sin. So 
what that means is you don't see your greed outright all the time. You don't yell, I'm greedy and I want that. Give it to me. It's more evident in its long-term corrosion of our souls. It's also a sin of faithlessness. Greed is the opposite of trust in God's provision, a grasping for security instead of resting in him. Are you greedy? Think about that. Are you greedy? Now, most don't know or won't admit when they're in a toxic relationship. Oh, he's great. I know he's crazy and he sells meth, but that's just, you know, that's for right now. He's a good guy. Yeah, he screams at me and I fear for my life once a week, but those other six days are great. I mean, most of us don't know when we're in a toxic relationship. Most of us don't know when we're greedy and and in a toxic relationship with money. So here's some questions to help you out, to figure this out. Could you live with contentment on the same income you earned five years ago? Could you live with contentment on the same income you earned five years ago? Is your gut impulse when someone asks you for money or time for kingdom ministry to find a way to give? Or do you shirk back and say, oh, no, not again? Do you believe and act as if one's economic status indicates their value as a person? Do you treat people differently based on their economic status? Is there anything in your daily life you could go without in order to free up more money for generosity? Netflix, going out to eat as much. I mean, are there things that you can free up to to give more? And if you find it difficult to answer any of these questions with a yes, it's time to break up with greed. He's not a good guy. It's time to break up with our our love of money. Life is more than what you have. Have you ever heard the phrase money talks? Money talks, money talks. Yeah, it does, but it lies. It lies to us. It says, without me and what I can get you, you will not have true life. I give you purpose. I give you prestige, accomplishment, happiness, comfort, security. Without me, you have nothing. Just like every toxic relationship, there's deception. Be on guard against greed. Life is about more than getting more. And Jesus continues this line of thought with a parable. Look at verse 16 and 17. And he told them a parable. Now, a parable, we've talked about this, is a story with a point. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And so the land produces plentifully for this man. Stocks just coming up, very fruitful. I don't know what he's planting, but he's gotten, getting a lot of it. Harvest, grain, fruit, I don't know. But he has mounds and mounds of the stuff. And the Hebrews believed that everything belonged to God. 
So this was another way of saying that God is the true source behind this growth and blessing. Now the question is, does the rich man acknowledge God here? No. We see just the opposite. We see a lot of mys. He's a me monster. Me, my, my. My crops, my barns, my resources. My, 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 me, me, me. He's a me monster. We see mountains of produce. His barns are bulging. Where am I going to put all my stuff? Look at verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. That's a very Castle Rock thing to do. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And so he says, I'm just going to build bigger barns. I got an idea. I'm going to store all this stuff up, all this excess, and then I will be able to sit back because my future is taken care of. I'll be swimming in that grain like Scrooge McDuck on DuckTales. It's a generational reference there. I'll be able to relax and eat and drink because I will be secure. Now, most in our country, if they heard a story like this, they would be like, you go. Congratulations. You have worked hard. You have made that money. Retire early and just have fun. We have a name for this type of life. We call it the American dream. We call it the American dream. And I've heard this over and over again. I was talking with a friend the other day, doesn't know Jesus, but he was like, man, I just want to make as much money as possible right now. And I want to hoard that money. I want to save all of that money so I can retire at 40 years old and just do what I want with the rest of my life. And I'm going to be honest, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good to have a couple mil in the bank, not go to work, just wait. I mean, I have envied those people and I've been green with envy when I've seen them accomplish it. But here's what I found out. And I forgot where I heard this a long time ago and it really struck me. This desire to have enough, to be free, to be secure, to live, to do what I want without thinking about money this is what it's really about. It's really about wanting to put myself in a position where I no longer have to trust God. If I have enough wheat and grain stored up, I don't need daily bread from God. I think it's why Paul and 1 Timothy says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The obsession with money, the idolatry of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says this, and it's the reason many have wandered from the faith. 
He is saying when we're in a toxic relationship with money, when we believe money and what it can get us is all we need to be secure, content, and at peace, you don't need anything else, let alone God. So people walk away. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Aaron, could you earmuff your kids just for a second? Can you just earmuff him? Yeah, so he can't hear anything. Jesus calls this man a damned fool. He calls him a damned fool. And you may be like, Pastor, ease up. You can unplug now. (laughs) Why did you use such crass language? Let me explain. He isn't a fool because his land produced plenty. It isn't a bad thing when you prosper financially, when you get a raise, when your investments increase in value. It's not bad to make money. It's not bad to make a lot of money. Here's why he's a fool. The excessive hoarding of money for selfish reasons has given us a clear picture of what this man truly treasures. And it isn't God. And it isn't God. He treasures riches and the life that it can give him. God gave him everything, yet he is selfish, using his bounty selfishly. And here's why he is a fool. At some point, this man will die and be called to God's judgment seat. There he'll give an account for how he lived because how he lived is evidence of what he treasured. And this man approaches money and his resources in a way that proves and shows he doesn't treasure God. It's why Jesus says to him, this night your soul is required of you. This is judgment language. He is not somebody who knows God. And and here's the irony. His life is short, but his life is about fun, safety, and and relaxing. Having a marg at the beach, not not a care in the world. But the next life is longer, and he will not experience any of those things. Do you see the irony there? Why he's a fool? He's trying to protect himself, protect himself, protect himself in this life, but not doing the things he needs to do, not putting his faith in Jesus in this life so that he's protected in the next. This isn't saying that you need to give to be saved. I remember talking with, with a friend and he was, man, all you church people just want money. Guys, I trust that God will provide for this church. I'm not trying to milk you for a tithe right now. It's not saying that we need to give to be saved. What he is saying is that if you treasure God, if you love God, how you handle your riches, how you handle what has been given to you will look very different than this man. It'll look very different than this man. Look at verse 21 again. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
What does it look like to be rich towards God? That's really what we're being called of here. Not to be selfish, not to hoard our money, but to be rich towards God. Well, I highly encourage you to read the section after this one. It's a great section, especially if you're worried about money right now. If you're worried about God's provision in your life, it's a great section. It talks about not worrying about what you're going to eat, not worrying about what you're going to wear. God will take care of those things. If he feeds the bird, if he clothes the lilies, he will feed you, he will clothe you. He will give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, but what you need. And at the end of this passage, it talks about seeking God's kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Seeking God's kingdom. And then he says this in verse 33. Jump down to verse 33 real quick. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. That's what it means to be rich towards God. We are rich towards God when we see our resources as kingdom instruments to be generously used for kingdom purposes, helping the needy, the poor, the less fortunate. Being rich towards God means using earthly riches to show God how much we treasure him and his purposes in this world. Paul Tripp, great author. He talks about being a container or a conduit, a container, or a conduit. He says, either we want money to stop with us. We're a container. We just want to fill up, fill up, fill up with money because we've conceived many ways to make our life more pleasurable. Or we think of ourselves as a pipeline, a conduit, and are excited that our money can bless others and benefit the lives of others. Here's how you become a conduit. First, you need to be honest about your relationship with money. And if you view it through greedy eyes or if you're covetous, you display covetousness, you need to break up with money and you can confess that and say, God, I've been worshiping the wrong thing. I've given in to idolatry. I've sought comfort, security, and happiness in something that isn't you. And you pray. Pray, God, to open your eyes to this reality, to understand that, man, I'm in a broken relationship. And then you need to preach to yourself. Do you know that I don't have to be the only one preaching to you throughout the day? You can actually preach to yourself. How many of you do that? I mean, sometimes we we know what the right thing is, but we we don't say it to ourselves. We got to get in the habit of preaching to ourselves. It's Christ alone who satisfies my heart. He is the bread of life. Everything else is just Cheetos. It's God alone who is my rock and I must trust him. Anything less is idolatry. 
Preach to yourself. God is good and loves me. Preach to yourself. He has an abundant surplus at his disposal. I can trust him to provide enough for me next year, month, or week, especially if I'm generous. Remind yourself over and over again, he is my treasure. Pray, preach to yourself, and then give generously. Be a pipeline. Be be a conduit. Give generously to your local church, which, guys, you have. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. Give to missionaries, to help those in your neighborhoods who are struggling, to coworkers who aren't making rent, to faithful people, to lost people. Again, look at your resources as tools for kingdom building, being rich towards God means using our earthly riches to show how much we treasure God and his purposes. And here's what you're going to find when you break up with greed and enter into a healthy relationship with money. That greater happiness comes from sharing things instead of miserly hoarding them. People who are generous, who give things away, are generally happier. Because they're making an eternal impact. When we give away, when we're generous, when we use God's provision for us to be a provision for others, we can actually make an eternal impact. I mean, the person receiving that gift gets to see the love of Jesus. And then they may be curious about him and they may put their faith in him. There's also an internal impact that it has for for us. Because how we use our money, it reveals what we treasure. It truly reveals what we treasure. Here's the question that always comes up from somebody uh, after preaching something like this. Well, doesn't the Bible tell us to save? Doesn't the Bible tell us to save? Yeah. The Bible says saving is good. And it might be okay. But if you're doing it in a way and for a reason that shows God is your treasure. Okay, then, well, how much do I save? How much am I supposed to save? How much am I supposed to give away? Well, the, the, the Pope of finance, Dave Ramsey, he says, uh, give 10 off of your first fruits, save 10, and live off of 80. Give 10, save 10, live off of 80. Now, that may be a good place to start, but if you make $500,000 a year, is a lot easier to live off of than if you make $40,000 a year. So I'm not sure that that's always the best place to start for everyone. So here's what I'll encourage you to do. This is a hard, hard thing to do. Hard, hard thing to do. If you're married, get with your spouse. If you're single, ready to mingle, look in the mirror, Drake, (laughs) and do this. I think you need to see what you earn as a gift from God. Whatever is in your bank account is a gift. It is a gift from God. And then you need to ask yourself the hard question. With what God has given me, what does it look like for me to go against culture's obsession with more? and use my earthly riches to show how much I treasure God. 
How do I go against what culture tells me to do with my money? And how do I live a life that displays a love for and a treasuring of God? Show me the person who hoards, who doubts God's ability to provide, the person who needs more, and I will show you the person who doesn't understand that God has been graciously and abundantly generous with them. God has given us eternal life. Life through uh, his son's life, death, and resurrection. We have glory awaiting us. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he prepares a place for us in heaven. And there will be treasures that are ours to take hold of one day that we can't imagine. And the the dollar bills and the change that we obsess over are going to be trinkets. They will be worthless there. We have glory awaiting us. But now we also have his presence with us. We have been adopted as his children. We have been given a family, purpose, and life. Guys, we have been given everything. We need everything of eternal value. Show me the person who generously lives simply, who gives his resources away, who is a conduit and is rich towards God, and I will show you the person who understands these gospel truths. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.